www.thepeacemakerchurch.com. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning, church. You can have a seat. Lent, if you haven't noticed, is underway. It's begun. If you're not familiar with Lent, maybe this is your first go at Lent, um, I just want to give you a quick crash course on what Lent is all about. Lent is all about less. Less. Less noise, less stuff, less indulgence, less clutter, less. But really, Lent isn't about less just entirely, is it? We open up this space, we declutter things, we maybe take on disciplines that make less in order that we could fill it with more of something else. One thing, really, is what Lent is all about, making space for the saving presence of God in our lives. It's so easy for us to get distracted and comforted by things other than God's saving presence. And so Lent is this disciplined season to say, you know what, let's just cut all of that out and make up this, open up this space for the grace of God in our lives. And this is actually what our sermon series is going to be looking at all through Lent. We're going to be looking at the truth, contemplating this together as we unclutter things, that by grace we have been saved. Lent is really opening up space for grace. That's what we're going to be looking at. And this morning, um, our readings are showing us how this grace that has saved us isn't uh, just in general, but has actually saved us from really concrete things. And in this, the readings this morning, we see that grace has actually delivered us, saved us through death, even death. And I love how Lent begins with death on Ash Wednesday, if you were here with us, we were marked with the sign of our mortality saying, remember someday you're going to die. What an incredible way to begin our season of Lent, to remember that death awaits us. Is this really an incredible way to begin? Shouldn't we leave like the big boss of all bosses towards the end of the game, or should we just take them on up front? Well, Christians, there's no, nobody mocks death as well as the church does. Nobody has defeated death the way Jesus has. And so we begin this season of Lent in confidence that Jesus has risen from the grave and defeated death. What else can he defeat? Everything else. What can't he defeat? He's already defeated death. And so we begin Lent facing death and realizing even the grace of God has saved us from death. Amen? That's a good way to start, I think. It's probably the best way to start. If you recall in our reading from Genesis, you heard us this morning, Noah built this massive ark. I know this is one of those stories that even if you don't go to church, sometime in your life, as a child maybe, you heard about this boat. This is a huge boat. This massive space that God opened up for his grace, his deliverance, in the midst of an overwhelming flood that was cleansing the earth of all wickedness and sin of all flesh. Man, there's a picture for us in Lent, isn't there? In this Noah Ark's, Noah's Ark story, as we consider how we can open up space for the grace of God in our lives amidst the flood of our own sin, amidst everything that's going on in the world. What a great image for us that we would cooperate with God and open up this space for his deliverance and his grace to fill Sure, Noah didn't save himself, did he? He cooperated with God. He obeyed God. God said, build this ark. That, that was nuts. 
And his, all of his friends thought the same thing, but yet Noah obeyed God. He cooperated with God's deliverance, but it was God the one who is the, God is the one who delivered, right? God is the one who actually saved Noah and his family. And as a sign of this salvation, God put up in the sky this bow, this covenant. Never again would God destroy all flesh on the earth by a flood. This was his promise. Well, Peter, the apostle Peter, in his first letter, he picks up this same story of Noah. Maybe you heard it. And he invites us to see there's actually more to this than some old historic account of God delivering Noah and his family, these eight people. There's more to it, Peter says. God's deliverance, his rescue, that ark is actually still underway. And it involves you. It involves us even this morning. Peter explains why it is better to suffer for doing right than for doing wrong. This is kind of zooming out of just that particular chapter in chapter 3, right around it. He's talking about suffering for doing what is right. This, this way of innocent suffering, if you're a Christian, this is like, it should be something really familiar to you. This is the way of the Lord, innocent suffering. And if you follow Jesus, you're going to suffer, even though you've done nothing wrong. And the suffering that the Lord has endured for our sake, this is the context for us to understand what Peter is saying in these passages and specifically in verse 18. And listen to this, it's all about grace. Hear grace in this. Verse 18 says, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous in order to bring you to God. Jesus endured innocent suffering, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's us, why? To, to bring us to God. What did we do in this? What's our contribution here? Christ suffered once for all. He was the righteous one that died for us. I don't see our names in this passage. I don't see much of what we've done in this. Do you see this image of grace that we see in this letter? In Jesus, in Jesus, God is the one opening up this space for his rescue of us. Who's involved? The good folks, yes, definitely the good folks. And the bad folks, especially the bad folks are being saved in this. Really, even the bad folks can be saved? The religious overachievers, those who have perfect church attendance, God's making a space for them to be saved. And those who never go to church, God welcomes them as well. The righteous for the unrighteous. The insiders, we all maybe think of ourselves as insiders, yeah. But God's actually also making a space for the outsiders, those who feel like I could never belong in a church. Even Republicans <laughs> and Democrats. God is making a space for everybody on every side of every polar issue and topic and argument. Even those people on Facebook that you're like, good riddance. God's making a space for the unrighteous, for everyone, for all of us. Christ suffered for us once for all in order to bring us to God. And so Christians, friends, if, if you call yourself a Christian, you are naming yourself as an undeserving recipient of the gift of the greatest kind, the grace of God, his deliverance. There's nothing we can do to earn it. 
There's nothing anyone can do to compromise it. Grace. Even the flesh that put Jesus to death, even our sin that put him to death, couldn't stop the grace of God from bringing him to life. This is grace. And it's such an uncomfortable thing for us to really wrap our heads around. You know you're getting grace when you're like, it can't be. This is grace. Verse 19, Peter goes into this really cryptic thing that has always fascinated me. Did you catch this in verse 19? He says uh, this bit about Jesus making a proclamation to the spirits in prison. Who are these spirits in prison? Those who don't obey God when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, he says. Who are these people that Jesus went to proclaim to? Is, is this maybe somehow related to when the Apostles' Creed tells us that Jesus descended to the dead? Right before we say, and on the third day he rose again. How deep, maybe this is a better question, how deep does the saving grace of God go? What amount of darkness is beyond the reach of God's saving grace? I don't know if we can know that, to be honest, friends. And I think Peter's like tiptoeing right up to the edge of this great mystery that we don't know how this works. We can't know, but it's also not the point of what Peter's saying. Instead, he's, I think, revealing to us this profound depth, this mysterious depth of God's grace that he's given to us. Even those who disobey God, as well as those who obey him, all of us are welcomed to salvation from death. We're all welcomed to this saving rescue from death. Peter goes on in verse 21. And baptism, check this out. Okay, folks, if you've come from non-Catholic, like, Orthodox, or Anglican circles, uh, this is like your beef, right? This is your thing, like baptism. You guys do this. You're a little strange. Um, and by you guys, I mean like the rest of the church throughout the world, okay? So, and throughout history. Anyways, verse 21. <laughs> yeah, if we had a pie chart of, yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> verse 21, and baptism, which this prefigured, Noah, the ark, prefigured, now saves you. Time out, time out, time out. And baptism now saves you. Did you all see this? Do we need baptism? Does it save us? Peter, what do you think? Baptism saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to start a whole bunch of fights. I don't want to get a whole bunch of emails. There's more to this than just... Baptism saves you. What do we mean by saves you? Salvation is certainly underway in baptism. Yes, we're going to say that. But is there a moment in which as a baptized child, someone comes into a, a saving presence, a personal relationship with Jesus where they commit themselves to be his disciples just as they were promised by their community to commit themselves? Yes, absolutely. There's this huge scope of salvation that's underway. And we even see this in Peter's letter here, in baptism, this, this moment in which we come into the household of God, this saves us. We are being saved in baptism. It's a sign, just like that rainbow in the sky, baptism is this sign of God's saving work. His redemption is underway in our lives. The promise that God would never again destroy all flesh by a flood. In baptism, we see that promise coming into our own lives, coming into the lives of the people that come to baptism through Jesus, through his cross, 
through his baptism, he leads the way for our salvation. And baptism is the sign. Through baptism, we see it throughout Exodus, we see it in the ark, this, this deliverance through the waters. We're being saved from tribulation, from certain death, from challenges, from darkness, from sin, from, from all of death's friends. Everything that rallies around death, we are being saved from in baptism. And death is the greatest of all of these. It kind of leads the charge of the enemies of us, of God's children, of life itself. And baptism is our deliverance through this darkness, through this tribulation, to stand in the presence of the truly righteous and sovereign king. As opposed to, think about this, in baptism we're being saved from all this death and tribulation, standing in the presence of the truly righteous king, as opposed to standing in the presence of the kings where we came from, who, like petty tyrants, like spoiled brats, who rant and rave, who complain, who abuse and accuse everyone else, those who don't lead well, those tyrants, who rage against the gospel that God is now in charge, and they can't stand that. We've been delivered from those powers and now stand in the presence of the truly sovereign and righteous King Jesus. And Jesus has already made his final pronouncement on that rule and reign of sin and death. It's been broken. Its power has been emptied in our lives. Its influence doesn't have a hold on us anymore. We've been delivered. The victory of God is already won. It's been established, it's been settled in Jesus' cross and in his resurrection. And now, Peter ends this way in his passage, Jesus sits in power with everything subject to him. All of these rulers, all of these powers, all of our sin and death and brokenness is now subject at the feet of Jesus below his authority. Even death itself is now subject to the Son of God who is resurrected. Yes, the flood of evil still still batters the church, still batters us. Yes, our own sin even still plagues us, torments us. But but despite all of these temptations, despite all of the suffering, we resist the temptation to give in, don't we? May we resist that temptation to give in. May we labor, and this is really what Lent is all about, may we labor and resist to open up that space for God's grace in our lives. Those who have been baptized, those who have been delivered, I'm just basically saying, remember your baptism. Remember that you stand in the presence of the sovereign king, you've been delivered from all this, so fight the good fight. Labor, it's not gonna be easy. Labor to open up this space for the grace of God in your life. Baptism now saves you. If salvation has more to do with God's action than ours, it makes us really uncomfortable that our salvation is in the hands of Jesus and not in our own hands. This makes us really uncomfortable, maybe as, as grown adults, maybe as Westerners, I don't know, that this is something that's actually somewhat out of our control, that we are being saved, that we are being rescued. If this makes us uncomfortable, whose fault is that? Is it the Lord's or is it ours? When I talk to folks all the time about um, bapti- baptizing babies, and I know we're all coming from different places, 
And I try to bring them along, understanding um, this idea of being delivered, being, being like we are underway. Salvation is underway. We're being saved, brought into the presence of the king. One of the root issues here is, well, but what's our part in salvation? What do we do? Don't I get to say? Don't I get to decide if I'm saved? Yes, absolutely. You should repent and believe. But how do you think you come to the place of realizing that you need to be saved? Did you do that on your own? No. Instead, the grace of God has helped you there. The undeserved grace of God has brought you to that place. God's saving grace has been at work in your life long before you've even come into the knowledge that the grace of God existed. Who breathed life into your lungs in the first place? And so when we see an infant being baptized, what we see is the most profound picture of grace where even the most vulnerable, the most helpless, the most unknowing are being given the grace of God. That baby has no idea what's going on. It's just cold and there's a lot of people around. And yet the grace of God has found this child and welcomed it into the household of God. This, this child is being delivered through death into life with Jesus. What a pro- profound picture. It's so uncomfortable too to think that the grace of God acts on children like that. But if the grace of God doesn't act on children, then the grace of God doesn't act on any of us. Who of us here deserves? Because, well, I've read the books, so I know. So now I deserve the grace of God. Well, Sean, I pray, and I'm actually like, cognitively, I'm there. Intellectually, I'm there. You should see my church attendance, I'm there. So the grace of God can apply to me because I understand it now. No, friends, that's what's so uncomfortable about the grace of God is it's been working on you before you've even seen it coming. Praise God, because if it was up to us for the grace of God to take effect, I don't think we would be in good shape. Nevertheless, Jesus died for the unrighteous and his grace applies to us. We're not so aware and in control of our own salvation. And yet God waits patiently for us. For those of us who are here, who are holding off the grace of God, God waits patiently for you. And he softens your heart even despite you. He softens your heart, speaks tenderly to you, draws you to himself, waiting for you to turn to him, repent, and to be saved. Rez, as we begin Lent and as we walk through this season of, of repentance together, together, let us remember our baptisms. Let us remember that we have been delivered and are being delivered even now. Let's remember that God has opened up a space for us to be saved, a space that we can cooperate with him even now in Lent and say, Lord, I want to unclutter all this space so that your grace can fill it to the brim. May his grace pour into our lives. Let's continue in this way, finding every single one of those spaces in in our life, those places in the everyday that we go about filling up with other things, chemicals, foods, comforts, peoples, activity, busyness. Oh my gosh, busyness fills our lives. Let's, Let's fight to unclutter those spaces that the grace of God would meet us in those everyday moments. And when we face trials, when we're slandered, when we suffer, when we face conflict. May we remember that the greatest of all of those, death, 
has already been overcome, and Jesus will overcome that as well for us. But we can wait patiently for him. We don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to feel threatened. Jesus has actually secured salvation from, for us. May we live under that banner of the grace of God that is given to us in Christ, remembering that Christ is the one who mocked death, who destroyed death, who deals out grace despite death, who isn't tricked or coerced by powers and rulers into compromise or collusion, and who when he is tested for 40 days in the wilderness and suffers on the cross, still lives and announces his everlasting reign that is never negotiable, that will never go away. His reign that brings about grace for us. Amen? Amen. Can we take a moment of silence and invite the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to us, opening up those spaces for the grace of God. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin.